Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of US Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone. This is Jennifer Shahadi. And today I have a special edition of Ladies Night for you, where I'm going to take you on the road with me from the last couple months, where after a couple years of a lot less travel than usual, I had an extremely fun spring where I hopped from London to Memphis to St. Louis. So you can get an inside look at some of my work with girls in chess on the road and also um, the launch of my book, Chess Queens. It all started with a trip to London for the UK launch of Chess Queens. I do have a British publisher, um, Hotter and Stodden. So that was a natural place to kick off my return to jumping on and off planes. It started off on a really good note as the Sunday Times in London published a great review of Chess Queens. And I'll quote from it. Like the Queen's Gambit, Chess Queens isn't really about chess, but power. Jennifer Shahadi is up for the fight. Wow. I love that. I mean, that's one of the nicest things anybody said about my work. So especially since it ties into my work more generally, that it's not just about the book and my writing. It's also all about the fight to get more girls and women and gender minorities in chess and to keep them and to make them comfortable, right? It's not just about bringing more girls and women into the sport as like a chess evangelist. It's about making sure that chess is equipped to make uh, things better and be a net positive for marginalized communities to enter it. So I really like the way she put it. And it's always nice when somebody writes something about your work that isn't exactly what you would say, because it shows that the whole point of putting work out into the world is to allow it to have new life, to inspire people in different ways than what you thought it would. It's that mystery um, and that magic, I think, of creation. It was also the first legacy pub to go into my literary work, so it was really meaningful to me. And speaking of chess queens, at the time of recording, it's widely available as an ebook and an audiobook, if you like my voice. <laughs> and at US Chess Sales, you can find some limited collectible signed copies. I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, but it's always great to support U.S. Chess sales because a portion of your purchase goes to U.S. Chess. So one of the highlights for London for me was when my friend, who was hosting us, 
Alex O'Brien invited me to a girl's school that she supports in London, Sarah O'Bonnell. Alex is an author herself of The Truth Detective and a poker player. That's how I know her. She's a science journalist, and a lot of her work centers on asking the right questions because she believes that shapes the conversation and the types of work that gets done. Couldn't agree with her more about that. So I wasn't surprised when this group of talented girls, they all played some chess, some of them intermediate, some of them advanced beginners. They asked me some great questions. Can you checkmate with a king move? Well, yes, you can. And I I let them figure out how. Um, What are the most important skills of a great chess player? Confidence, focus, and study skills, applicable to many other things as well. They also asked me what I would do if I didn't play chess. A great question. Of course, I love to write. Um, I also have found a passion for math later in my life, which really ties into my belief that chess can be a gateway to STEM fields. And I wish that I had studied more math as a kid, and I hope that girls who play chess realize that they can be good at anything, even if they're outnumbered. Talking to this group of girls in London gave me a chance to tell them a little bit about the history of women in chess, and in particular, the history of eight-time women's world champion Vera Menche, a legend, the first female ever to play against the top men of her day, and scalped so many of them that they had to create the Vera Menchik club of her victims. Now, Vera Menchik's story has a very, very sad ending, as I write about in Chess Queens, and I'll, I'll read that to you right now. On June 26, 1944, a crumbling Nazi regime dropped bombs over London. Vera, along with her sister and mother, hid out again in their basement, which was instantly demolished by a direct hit. All three died. Their home, which contained Vera's papers, letters, and game scores, was destroyed. Chess players in Britain were devastated by Vera's death, calling it an unspeakable tragedy. A friend, Thomas Olsen, wrote that she who faced the Blitz undaunted, the Blitz was a previous bombing that Vera had survived, should now, in the last days of the war, be struck down is a catastrophe for British chess and a heavy blow to her friends. Menchik was only 38 years old when she died. The most important move of her life turned out to be an unlucky one. Across their street was a subway bomb shelter, which remained intact. Had they decided to run for that shelter, they would have likely survived. Unlike chess, life gives us incomplete information. The eight-time world champion couldn't have known she'd have time to cross the street. Yeah, a very sad story about Vera Menchik. And I think that we need to preserve her memory by playing over games and thinking about the impact she made on women in chess and how much more she could have done if she had lived longer. But looking at her successors and her predecessors and um, keeping her stories and games alive. One of my favorite Varamenchik games is against her contemporary, Sonia Graf, who was second place in the Women's World Championship many times and also um, forms the uh, the narrative of this chapter along with Varamenchik as they both had such interesting lives and they were both women far ahead of their time. One of the points I make in this chapter is that 
Ferramenchik, who was very shy, was able to find greatness through chess because she found her immense talent and was a pioneer. Whereas Sonia Graf, who was a bon vivant, who defied the Nazis and was an anti-fascist and loved to travel the world and meet new friends. Well, for her, chess was a vehicle to travel, to passion, and to meet amazing people. In the end, it saved Sonia's life because she was so vocal against the Nazis, she probably would have been slaughtered if she was in Germany during the outbreak of World War II. But she was playing in a chess tournament in Buenos Aires. And she ended up staying in Argentina, along with some people you might have heard of if you're listening to this in a chess historian. Nidorf, who was a Polish Jew, the same thing happened to him. He was playing in the 1939 Olympiad in Buenos Aires, and he stayed there, along with Sonia Graf. Vera Menchik sadly went back and ended up dying. Um, Sonia, on the other hand, um, lived a rather full life. Uh, she uh, spent some years in Argentina and ended up marrying an American and went on to win a U.S. Women's Championship. Okay, I couldn't be more proud to share that title with the amazing Sonia Graf. Tapping into history when you talk about chess, I think it's extremely important, especially when you're talking to crowds with mixed levels, because it allows everybody to get something. Chess too easy for you? You can enjoy the stories. Chess too hard for you? You can challenge yourself and enjoy the stories. So I always like to make sure to give something that people can learn off the board and on the board, especially when I'm teaching crowds with disparate levels. When I was in London, I also spoke to a group of adult women for something called the Trouble Club, which was so perfect for me because, of course, <laughs> I want to cause a little bit of trouble because we want things to change. We want chess to be more diverse, even more diverse, I should say, because uh, compared to a lot of other activities, it's it's is doing well in welcoming people of all different types. Not doing as well with gender, and that is something, again, that we must continue to fight for. In addition to visiting school in London, the women's group, the Trouble Club, having an amazing party to celebrate the book, thanks again to Alex O'Brien and her husband, Jeff, um, and also visiting um, my publishers, Hodder and Stoughton, um, in their offices, which was awesome. Um, as a book lover, getting to just see all of those books that they're working on and to meet the whole team was really great. I also got a chance to visit the London Chess and Bridge Shop, which is a really cool place. Um, not only is it a store that sells books, mostly chess books, but some poker and bridge books as well. It's also um, a commentary hall. It's a um, printing press for Chess Magazine. It's the office of Malcolm Payne, who runs a chess nonprofit in London. I was excited to do a signing there, and I met lots of girls, which was great. They got the copies of Chess Queen sign. Um, I also saw a five-time British women's champion, Harriet Hunt, there. And I love Harriet's story because she played a lot as a junior, and she was incredibly strong, reached a peak of 2450 plus, strong international master. Um, but she took a long break. And then when she came back, she won her fifth 
British Women's Championship title. Um, and there was over 20 years between her most recent and the previous one, which just goes to show that it's never too late to get back in there and show who's boss. So big congrats to Harriet and thanks for coming to meet me. Um, and she's also quite invested in bringing um, more girls and women into the game. So it's nice to see that uh, movement, which is really happening worldwide. I mean, the ECF, the English Chess Federation. Um, I also got a chance to meet Aga, who is the uh, director of women's chess in the UK. And you just see a lot of positive movement with people all over the world trying to push forward women in chess. Um, and I love to see it. While in London, I also got a chance to play chess by the teams as there's this group called um, OTB South Bank. So people come on a Sunday and play chess and there's YouTube recordings of it. It was really lovely. Um, I also got a chance to meet my old friend, Jonathan Rousen. He's a grandmaster who's also a philosopher. And he's written some really great chess books, which are seeing a comeback um, with the chess boom. Chess for Zebras and the Seven Deadly Chess Sins, most recently Moves That Matter. Jonathan has a very philosophical and psychological perspective on chess, which really inspired me when I was a college student reading his books. So it was great to reconnect with him. After this whirlwind of activity in London, um, I had a chance for a little rest. And then um, our girls club got a unique opportunity to play against none other than the greatest woman player of all time, Judith Polgar. Judith um, had invited us to play her in this historic simul where she played against 11 different communities around the world. Many of the communities were big streamers or YouTubers like Agenmater or Anna Rudolph or Anna Kramling. And they would bring all of their fans together and play Judith in a group game. My community was the Girls Club, the U.S. Chess Girls Club. We were also joined by our cross-cultural partners um, with Lighthouse Chess Club and Business Meets chess and, chess and Kids. So we actually had girls there from over a dozen countries, from Kenya, from Uganda. We had um, girls from Lebanon, meaningful to me because Shahadi is a Lebanese name. We also had girls from Kazakhstan, from Israel, from Malawi, it was a really special day. Um, my co-host, Alessia Santaramo, um, was also streaming it on her own Twitch channel. And Alessia, along with the girls, convinced me to do something that I never thought I would do. Wow. You to play E4, of course. She's a E4 player, a crusher. And normally I would die for the chance to get to play the Sicilian against her and probably also die on the sword as she is quite the open Sicilian player. In fact, she inspired me to play the open Sicilian when I was a teenager. But Alessia is a double king pawn player. A lot of the girls watching and participating and voting on the moves were also double king pawn players. So we played E5 and we got a great game. In fact, in a post-game interview, you had said that she was a bit frustrated because she couldn't get an opening advantage against us. She played an anti-martial line and you know, thanks to the girls and some great players that were in attendance. Um, women's Grandmaster Nadia Ortiz, originally from Colombia and now living in the uh, San Francisco area, 
um, was great. Um, she actually had planned to show up for 10 minutes just to say hi and ended up staying there for the whole eight hour game. <laughs> it was eight hours. It was crazy. Um, but we ended up making a draw. And you can find the annotations on CLO. Um, I, I encourage you to check it out. We all had a blast. It was exhausting. And I was a little paranoid, I have to admit. I think like Nadia and Alessia and some of the girls were much more chill. Like I really thought we were going to lose, even though we had like a lot of different ways to draw in the end. It's just a lot of pressure that such a great player puts on you. You always feel like she has a trick up your sleeve. And yeah, you know, sometimes paranoia in chess is not a bad thing. Um, vigilance, I like to call it. That's kind of like the positive spin on paranoia. <laughs> you have to be vigilant when you play chess. But here's the thing. It's better to be vigilant, but also to be confident at the same time. And that is not an easy combination, right? Usually if you're a little paranoid, it's because you doubt yourself. Um, so I think that that's a key mental strength and trust. Can you be vigilant and make sure that you don't blunder, but also feel confident in your play? That, that is a good alter ego to create. Now, speaking of confidence... One of the reasons that Judith Polgar invited us to play her in this historic simul, which, by the way, she was performing live in Dubai. We were all online, of course, in our different locations, um, but Judith herself was playing all 11 communities on what we call these square-off chessboards. So when she played a move, it would automatically um, go to Lee Chess. So you had that like visual side of playing a simul, but also the technical capabilities to face these like, you know, hundreds of thousands of players um, in the community, right? Judith uh, um, invited us partly because a year prior, as part of her work for being an ambassador um, of education for the Play Magnus group, she had attended our girls club where we had hundreds of girls show up for a really spirited Q&A with Judith herself. And I was really moved by that QA, and I write about it in Chess Queen. So I'll just read a little excerpt for you of how that went. Through her work with Play Magnus, she spoke to hundreds of girls at a workshop I organized for U.S. chess women. Several of the girls asked about confidence. Bianca, a 16-year-old filmmaker from New Mexico, wondered if Judith ever suffered from imposter syndrome. Madison, an 11-year-old chess champion from Indiana, asked how Polgar kept up her motivation through loss and doubt. Judith said that she rarely suffered from self-doubt because she was so strong at such a young age and grew up in such a supportive environment and family. I was struck by her frank answer. The students were caught slightly off guard as well. They expected Judith, like so many of our other guests, to tell a story about a time when she lacked confidence or worried that she wasn't good enough. She just didn't have that many stories like that. Though she did recall cheering herself up during a bad tournament by playing over some of her attacking masterpieces to remind herself of how she could play at her best. Her win against Alexei Shirov in Buenos Aires would give any chess player a boost. I was struck by the tension between the girls who wanted to hear about Yuta Polgar's overcoming imposter syndrome and her actual boundless confidence. It reminded me that we need to be cautious about fetishizing bounce-back stories, especially tales of bouncing from agonizing self-doubt to extreme confidence. It 
great to learn from failure, but you can learn a lot from winning too. In my view, women are encouraged to lean into their insecurities too often. Sometimes it's better to run away from the painful moments and into the arms of your most memorable attacking victories. Indeed, start a file for your games that remind you of yourself at your best. As my friend Ben Johnson wrote on Twitter, it's not like all of us has games <laughs> that we crush Shirov in, who, by the way, is like Judith, famous for his attacking prowess and his brilliant sacrifices. We don't all have games against Shirov, but you all have some game that you can be especially proud of where you were above the rim. And that can be something to come back to when you're lacking in confidence. Because when you're playing, it is so important to have that belief in yourself so that you don't get into time pressure and you don't second guess yourself when you're analyzing aggressive continuations. So indeed, an honor for us to face Judith and to be one of the communities, there were a few others, to earn that draw. Very exciting indeed. So after that, um, I came back to Philadelphia and didn't have much rest before it was time to head to the high school national championships to host the girls club room along with um, women's committee co-chair and girls club committee chair, Kimberly Du McVeigh, um, Maureen Grimaud was also there. And we had some incredible guests for this girls club at the high school nationals. You know, it had been three years since we've been at the high school nationals um, because of COVID and the interruption of live events. So it was very meaningful for me. It's an important tournament because there are fewer females at the high school level. And the ones that are there, we really want to try to retain so that they can use chess to help them with college scholarships, international networking, and also just to have fun. Um, there's so many more opportunities for fun and socializing in chess now with this like online boom and chess becoming more popular. So to that end, I invited two streamers in their 20s, Davina Devagaran um, and Epiphany Peters. Both of them are examples of players who are working on getting better, but at the same time making a career out of chess, combination of streaming and lessons and so I thought that would be really inspiring to the girls. So they helped with game analysis. And we also had a panel discussion with Davina, Epiphany, and I. Um, and we were joined by Luciana Mendoza Morales, who's a WIM originally from Peru, now an American chess player and also a uh, project manager for Chessable. And she's going to be an author for Chessable as well, working on a, a book about women's world champions and their best game. So right up our alley, no doubt. And we also had Karen Boyd, who's a streamer as well. She does a lot of work with uh, Ben Feingold in his streams. And she's also a really cool example, I think, for girls and the moms, because she is an adult female chess player. And she got into the game as an adult. She's pretty good. So like that, I think, is a great example that, you know, it's never too late to learn and kick butt. Never too late. Yeah, you might not have as much time as an adult. So that could like, you know, cap your potential if you're really busy. Sure. But it's not all about becoming, you know, 
a world champion. It's about what you can get out of chess. And um, I think that seeing more adult women in the game, more adult women in this improvement community or even just in this fun community is super encouraging to me. It's hard because when you're talking about getting more females into the game, it's a bit easier to target girls because you can like target a school and teach a bunch of girls at once. Whereas adult women, it's a little slower, but I think it's worth it. And I hope that uh, more organizers um, continue to outreach to women. I've noticed a lot of events like regional events for females include girls and women. And I love to see that even if it's mostly girls, leave it open because that's inspiring to the girls to see that there are women who are still out there playing. I think it's really important. It's important for the boys too. And that was one cool thing. While I was in uh, Memphis, I signed copies of Chess Queens and I saw that there were a lot of boys and men who were interested in the book. This is a change because in my previous work with women and girls in chess in my books, I felt like it was mostly women and girls who were interested in them. And seeing that boys and men are so invested in being allies and making the chess world more gender inclusive is super exciting to me. And I was grateful, but also not necessarily surprised because I see a lot more of that. I see a lot of men asking me, how do I get more girls and women into the game? How do I make sure that I'm representing them in my chess lessons? Um, I see that so much and it's so beautiful and encouraging. After Memphis, um, and by the way, I'll, I'll post a few photos from all of these locales in my show notes. After Memphis, um, I went home for two days to pick up my fam, my little guy Fabian and my husband Daniel, and we went to St. Louis um, for the 10th anniversary of the World Chess Hall of Fame moving to St. Louis. So we were there to celebrate that. And I also had a couple pieces in the show that the World Chess Hall of Fame has on to celebrate 10 years, mind, art, and experience. My, Dan, my husband, Daniel Marome, and I um, have created a number of art pieces related to chess. And the two that were selected for the show by curator Shannon Bailey and Emily Arred were Naked Chess, which was a spinoff on a famous Marcel Duchamp photograph where he played a naked woman, Eve Bobbitts, in chess. For those of you who don't know Marcel Duchamp, well, he was a chess master, and he was also a artist, a contemporary artist who really changed the landscape of art. Very inspirational to artists um, for for uh, for for all for all artists, really. I mean, some people call him the most influential artist of all time because of how much he changed twentieth um, and twenty first century art. I mean, he's certainly been inspiring to me. I quote him many times in my book, Chess Queens. And here's the part where I talk about um, Marcel Duchamp and chess queens. In 1929, Menchik traveled to Paris for her first international tournament. One notable opponent was Marcel Duchamp, the celebrated conceptual artist and painter 
who for some time gave up art to pursue his passion for chess. Born in France, Marcel spent most of his life in New York City, as well as a year in Buenos Aires, when his interest in chess was most intense. Marcel's position in the chess world was similar to Vera's. Both were superstars when they played world-class events, Duchamp because of his fame as an artist, and Vera because of her gender. Even though they were weaker than most of their opponents, now keep in mind, this is in the elite events that they're playing, like with Capablanca, so it's not really a dig. The most famous game played by Duchamp, played between Duchamp and a woman remains the one chronicled in a much celebrated photograph. In it, he is playing against a completely naked Eve Bobbitt, an American writer. Bobbitt had just started taking birth control pills, which made her breasts swell to the size of bowling balls. Not sure at first if they were going to just pose or also play, Bobbitt later wrote, Marcel, whose obsession with chess made him give up not only art but girls, was waiting for me to make the first move. She was a novice in chess and Duchamp won the first game in four moves. This piece has been created by many artists over the years, but always with a naked woman versus a clothed man. In 2009, I made a new version. I faced a naked man. The chess set used for this game was also composed of carved nudes, and I used the queen to execute a frontal checkmate. When Vera and Marcel played, both closed, Marcel found a tactic knitting two pawns for nothing. With careful play, he should have easily won, but after a few mistakes by Duchamp, Menchik fought back to earn a draw. So yeah, I referenced uh, the, the version that Daniel and I created, Naked Chess. And, you know, what I talked about in my artist talk at the World Chess Hall of Fame, which should be available on YouTube, is how this photograph between Marcel and Eve has really transformed in its interpretation over the years. Like Eve Bobbitt's is now much more well-known for her own work. Whereas when I first learned about this in art history, it was always like, oh, Marcel versus a naked woman. And so I, I love to see that as a feminist, that of course, my version of the photograph, naked man versus female woman, I mean, versus clothed woman is also a feminist interpretation. You can say that there's nothing anti-feminist about a woman being nude. It's all about the interpretation, um, whether she did it willingly. I mean, of course she did it willingly, but whether she did it enthusiastically and was she excited about it, was, her, was it her idea? And how much of her personality was shown through the installation? So I think a lot of these questions um, are, are key. And does she get a name, right? So that's the thing, like Duchamp first naked woman or Duchamp first Eve Bobbitt. The fact that when you read about this photo now, you hear about her work is um, so different than it used to be. Or at least for me when I first heard about it. Unfortunately, Eve Bobbitt, along with her good friend, Joan Didion, have both died rather recently. So um, to... Brilliant artists of that era in Los Angeles um, have, have both recently passed. And yeah, RIP to Eve Bobbitt for, you know, really inspiring that work. The other work we talked about was Not Particularly Beautiful, which is um, a, a piece that Daniel and I made when Donna Dodson, the incredible American artist, invited us to show at her Boston's Sculptors Gallery. 
Um, and that one was inspired by the resistance to female power that traces back to the evolution of the chess queen herself. Um, as I write in my book, the chess queen became the most powerful piece circa 1500. And they were playing around with the rules. And this rule change was at first called the mad woman's chess game. I write that the reception of the potent 16th century queen showed a negative association with female aggression. The new queen was not described in a positive way as the super queen or the power queen, but rather pathologized as the mad, crazy queen. And then I write about our art piece in the 2017 art piece, Not Particularly Beautiful, that I created with my husband, Daniel Marome. We showcase misogynistic insults toward female chess players on an oversized chessboard. The piece referenced insults to the Mad Woman's Chess Queen game from the 16th century, tracing a 500-year lineage of anger and resentment toward female power in chess. That's right. 500 years prior to our interactive board, there was a French artist, Gratien Dupont, who created a chessboard full of mean comments toward the crazy woman chess queen. So the chess queen was getting trolled 500 years ago. But of course, the game, the Mad Woman's Chess game, became chess itself. So it turned out that all of this unkindness presaged the better game. Kind of a really powerful metaphor of how backlash against women often presages a better future. And our version, the Daniel, the diversion that Daniel and I made, not particularly beautiful, is a collection of mean comments told to female chess players. And they're on the white squares with beautiful calligraphy. Some of them are really, really disturbing, like should be hit with a baseball bat. Some of them seem a little bit more innocuous, like not particularly beautiful at all, or should wear more makeup, but also play into this idea that women are valued for their looks and sexuality, not for their intellectual contributions. The black squares were written in by chalk by the uh, attendees at the opening. And we've had a few versions of these so far, one in St. Louis, one in Boston, the Boston Sculptors Gallery, and one actually created by junior high school students at a school in St. Louis, Carlane. That particular version also showed the intersection of sexism and racism, as the girls who created that interactive version were Black. So through the different incarnations of Not Particularly Beautiful, we see how destructive Misogyny can be in chess, but also that in the end of the day, it doesn't win. It doesn't win. The chess queen was victorious in the end. And, you know, in almost every game, it's the chess queen who determines victory. And so that was the point of that, that piece, which tied in so beautifully with the, the book signing for chess queens that I also, I also did. Um, and the following evening, after I gave my talk and my book signing, 
Um, we celebrated 10 years of the World Chess Hall of Fame. I'm on the board of the organization, so it's just amazing to see the work that Shannon and Emily and Joy and everybody at the World Chess Hall of Fame have done to make the topic of art and chess and history fresh. Coming full circle, early in the episode, I talked about Vera Menchik and how all of her papers were destroyed because the bomb that the Nazis dropped on her house, killed not only her, but also destroyed her papers, also killed her sister and her mother. And it's the work of organizations like the World Chess Hall of Fame to preserve history and the United States Chess Federation as well. So um, that work is important. And I think that uh, it was a reminder that 10 year celebration um, to, to honor it. And of course, I'm sure a lot of you have heard the news that U.S. Chess Headquarters is moving to St. Louis. So that is another exciting thing happening in that neck of the woods. Well, I hope you enjoyed going on the road with me. You went to London to play against Judith Polgar to Memphis and to St. Louis. Next up, I'm going to be going to Columbus in a, about a month. Many of the girls from my programs are going to be going to Chicago for the all-girls nationals and to Texas for the middle school nationals and uh, back to St. Louis for the America's Cup. It's going to be quite a spring and a summer too. Vegas, the U.S. Women's Open and the National Open, the World Open coming back. It's just very exciting times as we return more into over-the-board play. Um, I am very grateful for all of my listeners for indulging me in this journey. And I will catch you all next time. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to share it with your friends um, or um, write a review on Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, everyone. If you like what we're doing at U.S. Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our U.S. Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The U.S. Chess suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong After slightly My dear Capablanco, you tell me we'll learn more from our defeats. Who needs victory?